to the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Well, we are continuing our series in the book of Luke. Uh, it doesn't take long as you're reading one of these Gospels to, to come across a teaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God. And we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks, different things. A couple of weeks ago, we did the signpost thing. And last week, we talked about some of these difficult sayings about Jesus and, or from Jesus about the closing of an age and all of this stuff. But, you know, I was, I was thinking as we started tonight, have you ever wondered what things would look like if God was running this place? You know, not like this place, but all of it. What would, what would the world look like if God was running it? Like if he was actively running it? Now, that's kind of a tricky question because half of you are probably thinking, shouldn't I say he is running it? Because if he's not, then something's wrong, right? And then the other half of you is thinking, well, I guess he's not Aren't, are there things that go on that aren't quite, you know, how, how do we make sense of this? And it's, it, it's an interesting question because it highlights the reality of our world. When you think about our world, we, we say, Jesus is king. And, and often we'll say to one another as a way of encouragement, hey, thank God, aren't you glad God is still on the throne? And everybody says, woo, you know. And everybody's excited about that until you run into a situation where it doesn't feel like God is on the throne. It doesn't feel like God's running the place. And Well, if God's running the place, well, how come this is happening? And how come this is happening? How, you know? For the people of Israel, they had always believed that God, their God, Yahweh, the creator God, was also the king of creation, the king of the world. You can read a number of different psalms that, that say this, that, that express this, that say, look, the God who made the heavens and the earth, he is the king over all. He's the real king. He's the king by right, because he made it all. He gets to say, because he is, you know. For any parents in the room, if you've ever said to your kid, you know, after a thousand questions of, but why, and why can't I? And if you've ever, you know, you're trying to do love and logic, and you know, whatever parenting thing you're doing, and you're trying to give them reasons and meet them where they're, but after about, you know, the thousandth time, you say, because, which is a way of saying, because I'm in charge, Okay. Because I made this place. No, because this house is my house and you're living in it. <laughs> and there is a sense where you say, okay, God is king by right. And yet, by reality or by the things that happen in every little thing, we'd say, well, not everything unfolds in this particular way. There's earthquakes, there's this stuff. Whoa, 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 where is God in the midst of it? And when Jesus comes and starts announcing that because he's here, the kingdom of God is here. He is saying something hugely significant. He's not just saying, hey, cool, guys. I, I like, used to live up in heaven, and now I'm here. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you've been crying out for the king of the world to let his rule come to bear on the world. Guess what? It's starting to happen. He's saying, look, Every time I do something, I'm telling you that this world has a king. It has a creator. There is a God who didn't just set it up and step back, but there's a God who stepped in to his world. 
And everything Jesus is saying when he says, look, the kingdom of God, here it is, here it is, it's coming, look, 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 how, what should I compare it to? He's saying, look, the king who is, the God who is king by right is starting to make things in reality reflect that. He's starting to make things reflect that. So when we look at this text in Luke 13 tonight, we're going to say, well, what, what, what does the kingdom look like? Or maybe another way of asking that question is, what would it look like if God was running this place? Luke 13, verse 10, is our text for tonight. And we'll kind of take this in a couple of sections. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn over to Luke 13, verse 10. This is a very familiar passage, but we'll go through it here and, and make a couple of observations about it. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman who was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Imagine this, would you? I mean, sort of, kind of, if it helps to close your eyes, close your eyes, but if you, you know, just sort of picture this. This woman, Jesus is here teaching in one of the synagogues. And here's this woman who's there who's bent over been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, the phrasing of this, this sentence in, in, in the Greek is actually quite a bit more startling. It's a little bit like, whoa, look. So here's Jesus teaching, and he sees this. Look, there's this woman. When he saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up, and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. And when he said this, all the opponents were humiliated, you think? But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. What does it look like? What would it look like if God was running the place? What does it look like when the kingdom comes? When the kingdom comes. What does it mean to say that Jesus was bringing the kingdom, that the kingdom was breaking in? I think the first thing we can say is when the kingdom comes, bent people are restored. The thing that cripples, the thing that binds and bends and holds us down, bent people are restored. Several months ago, when I visited our Orthodox church here in town, I heard a wonderful sermon by the priest there about this passage, and he talked about how so often it is sin that keeps us bent, and, and, and he was contrasting it with how, in, in, in their tradition, the saints are the ones who stand upright. And, you know, in, in the way the Orthodox describes sin, now if you, all of us Protestants, we're more familiar with sort of this, you know, total depravity, sin is just, you know, it's annihilated everything good in us. Uh, the Orthodox have a different way of saying it. They describe sin as the thing that bends us. And that while we still have this image of God in us, there's something that makes us bent. And Jesus is saying, you know what happens when the kingdom comes? Is that all who are bent 
by addiction or by sin or by the tarnish, the stain of that sinful nature within us, all who are bent will be restored, will be loosed. But there's something else that we don't want to ignore because I, I, I think it, it's, um, it's interesting to me when, when you look at the miracles of the passages in the Gospels and try to sort of uh, explain them in a different way. And, and there have been many different traditions that attempt to do that. I met a guy a couple of weeks ago who had the view that when Jesus was feeding the 5,000, it wasn't really that the bread multiplied and all the stuff, but that the real miracle was that everybody decided to be real selfless and share their lunch. And he said, he was making this case, don't you think it's a greater miracle that Jesus got everybody to overcome their own selfishness and share their lunch? Now, that's true. There is something beautiful about that, and there is something miraculous about that. I, I don't deny that in some sense that may be a more rare miracle. But I found myself thinking after the conversation, you know, I, I would try to get a group of people to share their lunch. I wouldn't even try to get a loaf to be multiplied. Do you know what I'm saying? There's so, you know, so, so I don't want us to read this passage and just say, oh, you look, it's a, you know. there is something specific about this. It is a healing from a physical sin, a physical sickness. Now, here, here we are wrestling with this because all, probably a lot of us have, have have struggled with, with thinking about healing. Okay, what do we do with healing? And is it the devil and is it God? And what, what, where, where, where do we go with this? It's interesting, just kind of a little aside here, when you contrast the way the Old Testament talks about um, suffering and sickness with the way the New Testament does. In the Old Testament, they, they really want to emphasize that God's in charge. So there's, there's, uh, if there is any evil or demonic presence, the Old Testament's careful to say, and God's the one who sent the demon or God, because they're very concerned with showing, emphasizing God's sovereignty, maybe even to the expense of God's goodness. But when the New Testament talks about it, it's very careful to say, now this was a spirit that bound her and all that. And, and it's almost like they want to make sure, don't, we want to emphasize God's goodness, maybe to some degree at the expense of his sovereignty. You can see, even in our scriptures, we're, told to wrestle with this tension. Well, is God in charge or is he not? Well, yeah, he's in charge, but, but here's this, there's sickness. Did he send it, allow it, cause it? Yeah. It would be too easy to just say, well, let me give you, here's a six-point outline of where evil comes from, and there, there you go. Memorize these answers, and now when you have your, your friend at college class that asks you a question, you'll have all the answers for it. That's not what we can do, and that's not what the scriptures allow us to do. You will continue to wrestle with all of those questions. But here in this passage, Luke makes it clear, in this instance, this is a spirit that's kept her bound. I think it'd be, uh, I suggest it'd be a mistake to say, aha, see, everything's demonic, and there's a spirit of this and a spirit of that. But we can say that, in, that there are times when there is something that is operating from the enemy. I think in the context of Luke, what the gospel writer is trying to show us is, look, when Jesus comes, he brings restoration and healing and freedom, where else the work of the enemy is to bind and bend and push us down. And there is something true about that. When the kingdom comes, bent people are restored. There is healing that happens. There is a miracle that happens. It's Jesus' way of showing, look, this is what God is like. I think it's important to recognize that if we were to really push on that question a little bit, what would things look like if God was running this place, that in some ways we can look at Eden and we can look at Revelation and say, what are the images 
on either end of this, and we can see how God sets up the world. We can see what God will do in the end when he defeats death and wipes away every tear. And that gives us this little clue that when God acts, it's always to act to restore, to rescue, to set free. In fact, earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus says this about himself. In Luke 4, he quotes Isaiah 61. He says, look, the spirit of the sovereign Lord of Yahweh is upon me to proclaim release, freedom for the captives. And so to you, to this woman, you are released, free. Or as T.D. Jakes might say, woman, thou art loosed. (laughs) The second thing that happens in this story, of course, it's not the, the point of Luke telling us this is not just that this woman is restored and healed, but Luke makes a point to tell us the reaction of the synagogue leaders, and these synagogue leaders are saying, whoa, whoa, hey, there's six days for this. Could you come on Monday or, you know, Saturday, whatever, Sunday, after sundown, yeah, the next day? And for a lot of us, this is kind of uh, puzzling because we're saying, gosh, what's up with these guys? I mean, jeez, I mean, could, it, could you get any more uptight? I mean, what, what's the deal with Sabbath and, and, all, and all this stuff? I think what's often missed when we read the New Testament because we don't have, uh, most of our Bibles don't have the Apocrypha in it, and, and, that, and rightfully so, maybe, but, but, but you, can, you, you can gain a lot of insight into the, what shaped the culture of the first century by reading some of the stories of the book of Maccabees and things like that. And, and what, what we know from those stories is that Sabbath became, was always important to the Jewish people, but it became especially important in the couple hundred years leading up to Jesus' day. Do you know what happened? Yeah? No? Yes? Do you care? Sure. All right. Just act like you do. Okay. This dude, Antiochus Epiphanes, comes with the Syrian army, and they overtake Jerusalem, and they come in, and they, they, they desecrate the temple, and they slaughter a pig, and they're trying to get the high priest to offer this thing, and it's, to eat the pork, and it's just the epitome of profane. And they won't do it, but these guys kind of force them, and they, there's, there's murder that happens, and, and they, 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 they rule for a little bit. They're, they're in charge for a little bit. And during that time, Jewish people were not allowed to do a few things. They weren't allowed to follow their dietary laws. They weren't allowed to circumcise new boys. And they weren't allowed to observe the Sabbath. And so when Judas Maccabees comes and he overthrows the, the, them and they have this revolt and they kind of maintain uh, their, their independence for a short period of time, what do you think they're going to hang on to as good Jews? Well, doggone it, we're going to observe the Sabbath. Well, you bet we're going to hang on to our dietary restrictions. Well, of course we're going to. They start to cling to these things. Why? Because it's a way of preserving their identity. Now, that's kind of foreign to us, but, but maybe you can relate to it. If, have any of you lived overseas for a long period of time? Maybe six months, a year or more. Okay. If, you, if you've lived in a country where maybe is nothing like America, there's something that overcomes you after about the second week and the sight of those golden arches just starts to overtake you. And you're like, oh my gosh, oh, a Big Mac and a Coke. And I don't care if this Big Mac may be made with halal beef or whatever, as is the case in Malaysia, you know, where it just doesn't quite taste it. But you say, doggone it, we're going to go. Greg and I went to Malaysia about a year ago now, and he was amazing. He ate all the local foods. He was all about it. Of course, so was I, but I grew up there. But on the last day there, we we're like, oh, Greg, there's that McDonald's. You want to? He's like, well, whatever, man. He's all trying to be like, I'm the perfect natural-born missionary. He's like, no, man, let's have another fried rice or whatever, you know. And I'm saying, come on, a Big Mac, you know. And, and we, we, we got it. We got our, you know, little sandwich. And, and there's something about it. You eat it, and it's just, oh, 
Or maybe it's Starbucks, which is also now all over the world. And something happens in you as you walk in and every Starbucks is the same. And it's designed to make you feel, ah. And you walk in and it's slightly smaller than it should be, you know. And, and, you, and you get your triple pump, whatever, mocha, no whip, skinny latte, you know. And, and you get your drink and you think, oh, this is it. This is who I am. <laughs> No, I, not, not quite that, but there's so, you cling to it because it's a piece of your identity. The, for the Jews in the first century, they're clinging to Sabbath. They're clinging to dietary restrictions. They're clinging to circumstances because it's a way of saying we are hanging on to our Jewish identity. We are still Jews no matter who's ruling over us. And Jesus comes, and he's not just willy-nilly picking some laws to ignore, you know, I think this is the thing that's puzzling. Do you ever get asked by your friends, well, how come this law, how come it's still not okay to commit adultery, but you can eat shrimp? You know, and there's probably a lot of you that are like, I don't know, but let's have some surf and turf, baby, you know. Why is that? It's because the specific parts of the Torah that Jesus sets aside are the ones that mark a circle around Jews and only Jews. And he's saying, look, look, I don't want you to hang on to your ethnic markers and your ID badge that says, I'm God's people, because the ones who are God's people are the ones who believe in me. And Paul picks up on this, and he says, okay, listen, if anybody has faith in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free. In other words, he's saying, whatever IDs you used to be using, whatever identification you used to be, would you turn all your IDs in at the door, please? I got one new ID badge for you. It's called, We Believe in Jesus, the Messiah. And that's the card, if you will, that unites us all. So when Jesus heals this woman on the Sabbath, these synagogue leaders are upset because their boundaries, their walls have been crossed. Their lines have been crossed. But that's what happens when the kingdom comes. When the kingdom comes, not only are bent people restored, but barriers are broken. Barriers are broken. I wonder if we thought for a minute about what our barriers are. What are the barriers? And I don't mean like Christian lingo. I mean, what things have we set up that says, yeah, I'll help people, but I'm not helping those people. What barriers have we put up that says, you know what, doggone it, and we're so intent on showing that we're Christians and we're hanging on and we're engaging in this culture war, and so in the name of fighting the evil culture, we've drawn a line, but that line's become a wall, and someone's outside that wall in need of something, and we're saying, "Mm mm-mm, we ain't helping you. Gee, could you think of a few situations like that? Christians in America, evangelical? No, we don't do that? I bet you could fill in the blank here. There's a number of walls that we've allowed to rise up that has said, yeah, well, Jesus, you can bring your kingdom and you can heal and you can save and you can restore, but not to them and not to them and not to that person because please, no way. And here's Jesus saying, you know what? When the kingdom comes, barriers are broken. There's nobody who can't get in on this. Here's a woman, strike one, who's sick Strike two. For a long, long time. Strike three. And Jesus is saying, come forward. Come here. 
come here, don't, don't, don't stand in the back of the synagogue. Don't stand on the outskirts. Come forward. Let me put my hands on you to validate you as a person, to say that you are a living, breathing human being. In fact, he says, you're a daughter of Abraham. This may have been Jesus' way of adding dignity to her life in general, but that phrase shows up in some of the Apocrypha as well, and daughter of Abraham was another way of saying mighty woman of God. What? To the, to the woman who's always hanging out in the back, bent over, who never... Did Jesus just call her a mighty woman of God? A daughter of Abraham? Barriers are broken. Jesus is looking each person in the eye, putting his hands on our shoulder and saying, Son, daughter, your infirmity is gone. You're free. You're loose. And for these synagogue leaders, it was... uh, Now, when you hear a story like that, probably most of us say, well, that's awesome. Wow. Well, gee, I want to be part of that. How do I get in on that? Well, good news. You are in on that. If you've called on Jesus, you are in on this. Moreover, you're not just kind of a recipient of it. You're a participant in it. Not just a recipient of it. So, oh, thanks, God. I am free to dance. It's a great song written by my good friend. But we're not just recipients. We are participants in it. We're meant to sort of say, all right, well, how, okay, how can the kingdom of God come through me and you and, 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 and big and small? And Jesus goes on and he starts to say in verse 18, Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. And again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. I don't bake a lot, but I think it's a lot of flour. Until it worked all through the dough. Well, Jesus, I, I, I want in on this kingdom. I want to be part of your work. God, how can the kingdom of God break through me to others around us? And Jesus wants us to know a few things. The work of the kingdom is smaller than you think. The work of the kingdom is smaller than you think. What would the world look like if God was running this place? Well, wouldn't he end war and end this? And wouldn't he do all these different things? Yes, ultimately, when Revelation says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. When 1 Corinthians 15 says, and Jesus must rule until all things are under. Yes, we, we can think in this epic macro thing, but you know how it's coming now? Like a mustard seed. Small. It may look like Jesus talking to one woman in one synagogue, and saying, you're free. 
I wonder how many times we think of wanting to participate in the kingdom of God, but we think, okay, God, well, I signed up for this. Now what? I, I grew up in, in a great um, Pentecostal church in Malaysia that was, always had a lot of missionaries coming in, and everybody, was, everybody loved to tell epic stories. You know, you hear of a mission, and nobody ever came, it seems like, and told a story about how they, went, they obeyed God and went to the mission field and gave their life there for 30 years and didn't see one convert. I never heard, I missed those stories. I always heard stories of people, oh, we came, and, and, and it wasn't that they were missionaries, really, but they, they did crusades, and nothing against crusades, but these were the stories I was raised on. And so I heard of a person who says, yeah, we just came back from a crusade in this place, and my goodness, you thousands of people, you know. And so my imagination as a child was, oh, well, so to participate in the kingdom of God, I must be doing that, too. And you sort of get this impression that, aha, aha, to do this, we've got to be doing that. And maybe some of you wonder about that. You think, well, well yeah, I signed up to follow Jesus. I just got baptized tonight. So, so you think like tomorrow I'll get up my whole, all my office saved, you know? You, you think like I'll just like start sharing. My neighborhood will be, you know, like fire will come down from heaven. You think, guess we can't rule that out. But the work of the kingdom is often smaller than we think. That it looks like little mustard seed acts. Now Jesus, of course, is talking about one mustard seed with his life. It falls in the ground and dies. It turns into this huge tree that even the birds of the air find rest in name. Possibly a reference to Gentiles coming. But I think we can say there's something true about this. The work of the kingdom is often just small thought about giving each of you a mustard seed tonight, but we were convinced it would lose, you'd lose it in your pocket on the way home, you know. Then your pants would smell and it wouldn't be good. It's just tiny, tiny seed. Tiny seed. What is it? What are those acts of kindness, like Greg was saying? What are those pictures of beauty, pictures of compassion, kind word that is a way of saying, here's the kingdom of God. Right here. What mustard seed can you bring to work tomorrow? What mustard seed can you bring in your home this evening? What mustard seed is in our hands that we can say, here, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come in my home as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come in my workplace as it is in heaven. The work of the kingdom is also slower than we think. The second image that Jesus uses here is yeast. As I already confessed, I don't do uh, baking, really. I like cooking, but baking is not so much. I like eating what's baked. Uh, it's usually very good. Um, but yeast, I'm told, <laughs> is slow. Imagine a big lump of dough and you put a little bit of yeast and you don't see it rise. I mean, even with instant yeast, you've got to at least wait an hour. It's instant rising yeast, whatever, you know. Most of this stuff takes some time. But eventually it's so pervasive, Jesus says, this yeast will, will, will pervade this whole lump of clay. Could it be that one man's life and death and resurrection 2,000 years ago will one day permeate the whole world? Yeah. But Jesus, I mean, come on, shouldn't it happen right now? I mean, are we waiting for this? I mean, is this now? Is it now? Are we there yet? It's slower than you think. 
Even for the disciples, imagine being a disciple who heard this, and, and it was still slower than they thought. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica saying, hey, guys, calm down a little bit, okay? Yes, he's coming back, but not tomorrow, I think. Just settle down, settle in. You know, there's something about saying, let me settle into a slower work. You know, interestingly enough, earlier in this chapter, Jesus has told a story about a fig tree that didn't bear any figs. If you see this earlier in your Bible here in Luke 13, and, and there's this owner who says, well, let's cut it down. It's not bearing fruit. And Jesus says, but there's a gardener that shows up. He says, no, you know what? Let's give it another year. Let me surround it with some manure, which is King James for, you know what? <laughs> Let me surround it with some poo. It's the parent version of it. And give it another year, and then we'll check back on it. Do you know that God's work in your life is slower than you think? A lot of you here that probably think, well, God, what, yay, what? I've been doing this, I've been doing this. I mean, come on, Lord, is I, well, how come I'm not there yet? I should be like super Christian by now. It's been two years. And maybe the work of the kingdom in us is slower than we think. Maybe it takes the gardener saying, ah, let me surround it with some manure. <laughs> That'll change the way you pray for growth. Lord, I want you to grow me, Lord. All right, well, let's dig it up around you and surround you with some crap. <laughs> oh, Lord. Hey, whoa, whoa, Lord. Work of the kingdom is slower than you think. But not just in us, in others. How many times have you been praying for someone and hoping for change? God, why are they not changing? And how come they're going back to that thing over and over again? Well, Lord, hey. At some point we need to say, you know, hey, hey, maybe the work of the kingdom is, is slower than we think. That it works like yeast, that it just, it's going to, eventually, it'll, man, it'll get there. But you know what? The work of the kingdom is also stronger than you think. It's stronger than you think. Tiny seed, a little bit of yeast, and yet massive tree, dough, the whole lump of dough that rises with it. The work of the kingdom is stronger than we think, more powerful than we realize. This is why Paul can say to the Colossians, look, I, I, let me tell you something. It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. For all those who got baptized tonight or for any of us here who are thinking, okay, how do I know, God, that your work is going to continue and prevail in me? How do I know this? And Lord, It's Christ who's in you that is like that seed that will burst forth into a tree. It's Christ who's in you who's like this yeast that's spreading into the dough of your life that is stronger than you think. Moreover, it's Christ who is at work in this world by his spirit, bringing the kingdom of God here. Well, God, hey, it doesn't look like it. And hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Smaller, slower, but stronger. One day, it will happen. As we close tonight, uh, I, I was thinking about kind of um, where we may be with this as we think through the story and kind of see ourselves in it. And maybe there's, uh, you know, some of us that are here that are saying, you know, God, I, I, um, I kind of identify with that woman. I'm bent. I'm bent by sin, bent by whatever it is, a fear, 
uh, in anger, maybe in addiction. And there are many ways that the Spirit of God works to restore us from our bentness. Oftentimes through many layers. Prayer, yes. Counseling, yes. Help, yes. Friends, yes. All the above. But somewhere inside of us, we've got to say, all right, it's you, Jesus. It's you. It's you that I'm asking to restore me, to help me reform these habits, to help me lose the habit of walking like this. It's your power that I need that will help me learn this and help me stand straight. Maybe there are some of us also who need to think about who we're excluding. Who are the people that we're kind of like, oh man, I'm not, you know. A word of kindness, an act of compassion, a word of encouragement. Oh no, God, I'm not doing that. No, no, no. Where are the walls in your life? What walls are keeping you from carrying freedom to the captives? What is it? A prejudice? A political value? or What is it? What is it that keeps, that keeps walls up for you and that Jesus would like to say, you know, why won't you bring a word of kindness and encouragement to that person? Why won't you do something that speaks to them with dignity? Why won't you do that? Who is that? Who is that in our lives? How can we this week become carriers? People through whom the kingdom of God comes. Let's pray. We've got a little bit of time tonight, which is a minor miracle in itself. Would you take a moment and, um, you know, if you've got a journal or you brought a notebook or something, and just take a moment and reflect. And maybe write down a response to both those questions. What in your life is bent that you would like to ask Jesus to restore, to straighten, to heal? We all have a fear and insecurity or whatever it is. Maybe think of it. Maybe write it down. Say, you know what, Jesus, this is my prayer this week. Would you restore this part of my heart? Would you unbend me? And then maybe pray, Lord... around me that I'm just not willing to cross a line or barrier. Maybe it's nothing more than, than someone here that you're, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I don't want to talk to, I don't want to meet a stranger, I don't want to, you know, maybe it's something as simple as that, or maybe it's something pretty deep.
Jesus, we confess that all of us are like this woman. We are bent by our sin, by our fear, by our insecurity, by our vanity, by our pride, by our anger, by our selfishness, by our hurts, by our wounds. We're all bent. We confess to you that we are. And there's nothing we can do to unbend ourselves. But Jesus, you are the Redeemer. Jesus, you are the Restorer. So we invite you in. Holy Spirit, speak the words of Christ to us that says that every infirmity is broken, that restoration has come, that healing has come, that freedom has come. Holy Spirit, speak the words of Jesus to us. Remind us that we are sons and daughters. And Holy Spirit, fill us to be able to speak the words of Jesus to others around us with kindness, with compassion, with mercy, with justice. this gospel of the kingdom will go to the ends of the earth in small ways in slow ways through us make us the people that belong to Jesus not only have been cleansed and freed but the ones who go announcing the same it's in Jesus name that we pray Everybody said, amen, amen. Well, next week we'll be back in the tent. We'll see you there. God bless you. Have a great week.